The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Previously on The Ascent of Board Games. We're actually going all the way back to episode one and talk about deck building games. Altiplano. There is an amazing little llama token. It looks like his legs are just two pairs of pants. Spirit Island. There's so much game here. Dune Imperium. It's super clever and really well done. And now the thrilling conclusion of Deck Builders Revisited. And now we enter the Frank segment of the show. Hi, and welcome (laughs) to the Frank show. Having played too many new games, which I don't know what you guys have been doing. Nothing. Being sick. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) So first game on my lovely list is Cubitos. Cubitos. It really does sound like a tortilla-based snack food. (laughs) Cubitos, the fresh maker, yes. Cubitos from Frito-Lay. I think that's just pronounced Kabuto, and it's a Pokemon, okay? Oh, there you Ah. go. Yeah, totally. This is published by AEG John DeClaire. John DeClaire. And it's a racing game. In particular, it's like a dice builder without a bag or anything, but mostly it's a racing game. You have these little cubes, which represent various things like cheeses. Told you, it's a snack food. And dragons. And dice that represent your allies in this race that, well, also represent cheeses, dragons. I think there's a llama, too, just to keep that whole llama thing going. (laughs) Game comes with four tracks, two double-sided boards, and I think six different sets of dice that you can draft while you're racing. And these also come with, I think, eight cards per die that represent what the powers of the die are. So you've got, you know, eight to the six different combinations of of things plus the four tracks to do your race. So basically, the dice you have start in a pool that's open. You choose a limited set of this dice to roll. And then you do a press your luck kind of thing where you can keep rolling as long as you get results on a die. But anything that shows a result goes to your locked finish. But you can keep rolling those blanks. And you do have entirely too many blanks on your dice, (laughs) ranging from, I think, two to five. And you have to get, yeah, if you fail, you basically end your turn and get a consolation prize. Jason, I sense that this game is not for us. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Once I saw it, was like, all these dice, I'm like, well, never playing this. And a race game? Oh, hell no. Yeah, totally. But once you get done with that, it's the game is pretty simple. You get feet symbols, which indicate your movement. You get coins, which represent being able to buy dice. And then you can, and then you get special symbols, which some of the dice have that activate their special powers. And it's pretty much a lather, rinse, repeat. It's a little unusual that your dice pulls open. And so you can choose what goes into the roll each round. But you do have to cycle through that entire virtual bag or dice pool each time. But there are also spaces on the board which wants you to end your turn on those spaces. Essentially like um, Mario Kart style power-ups that you want to hit. Sometimes a little out of the way. Sometimes you want to, you know, just stop immediately so you can hit the cool space. And so... 
It's surprisingly cute. Figuring out what to buy with your dice is surprisingly cute. Whether to push your luck is, well, annoying. <laughs> That's actually it. It's compelling, short, about 30, 40 minutes. And one of those you can drag to the table and teach really quickly. Mm-hmm. There's some bad puns on these cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rahama Lama. I mean, yeah. Uh-huh. The cheese stands alone. Later cheesing. Okay. Yeah, someone's <laughs> definitely having fun with this. Probably funnier in German. <laughs> later cheesing, yeah. And John DeClaire, of course, will have to come back later because he's doing all the games. Is he? Yes. My next game, however, is much That was more... Cubitos, just to go back and do that. Yeah, it was Cubitos. Our next game would be Role Player Adventures, which I think is like, you know, one of y'all's new favorite games, really, and once you start playing it. Someday. Yeah, someday. Good point. That is 2021, designed by Keith Majetka, Peter Andrew Ryan, James William Ryan, published by Thunderworks Games. And as you can gather from the name Roleplayer Adventures, this is in the roleplayer universe. Roleplayer cinematic universe. Yeah, really. They and cartographers, isn't that in the same yeah. universe too? Yeah, totally. So. Yeah. But this really doesn't have much to do with roleplayers. Although you are allowed to take a role player's character and then drag it into role player adventures with some refactoring. I think that is my favorite part about this concept is like, here, play this one game to create a character and then go take it on a fabulous adventure. Yeah. Oddly enough, I'm not sure I'd do that. I think if you do that, you might get some unbalanced characters. Oh, almost certainly. Oh, definitely. That, yeah. that game as I am, you definitely will. <laughs> yeah, totally. But the game also includes like 30, 36 characters character options in there with a lot of variation. Can I but play a Frogman? I think so. You can play a Birdman. Yes. <laughs> Harvey Birdman? Yeah, no. Attorney of Law. Yeah. And you can just make a Birdman and name him Harvey. Yeah, It'll be I fine. Suppose. But then you also have to make him Attorney, otherwise this isn't going to work. I'm anyway. sure they've got a, a background. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry yeah. I even mentioned it. <laughs> so, the game is really a paragraph game with, you know, some frills. Ultimately, you get these 12 books that look like classic D&D adventures. I mean, the art, the format is completely ripped off. Even the theme and style are D&D with the serial numbers filed off. They're fantasy role-playing. <laughs> yeah, now they're D&D. Each of them also comes with a nice separate board that's a 11 by 17 fold-out color map, which represents the board for just that adventure. And you only have one miniature that represents the party, and you all move together. You move to various places, you have encounters, and each encounter will do things. I mean, plus you have some random encounters in between that go on the board, just to kind of give you a wandering monster or some kind of effect. There's a lot of reading, and it reminds me of Legacy of Dragonhold, because there's a lot of keyword and branching. During each adventure, you may end up with seven or eight different keywords in an adventure that are removed at the adventure that will key certain paragraphs and options. Plus, you have items that you pick up that are keyed to the adventure, and you can use an item or you can basically use item or items at a location to do special paragraphs. And on top of that, you can get titles that carry between adventures. And we've got like 20 different titles right now. Hmm. Frank, this sounds like an editing nightmare. <laughs> oh, I know. It must have been. And as we're going on through the further adventures, we'll get these callbacks to previous things, as well as entire branches. You also track your faction alliances with three different factions. 
And those will completely change certain parts of the adventure. Each has a start and an ending, but the in-between just branches wildly. And I think we're covering maybe a quarter, a third of the possibilities. Plus some things we've missed because, you know, we didn't think to combine these items at this location and we don't know. Or we didn't get the item because we didn't have the faction alliance or whatever. Right. Frank, you said some potentially incendiary words before we started recording today. You said, I think this is better than Legacy of Dragonhold. Totally. And everybody just kind of went, ooh. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I we, we as a table really liked Legacy of Dragonhold. Oh, same here. Yeah. Totally, yeah. This, because I think the focus is a little better here. There's a focus on just the current adventure. So there's not as much branching between the adventures. The structure is similar to having the six books of Legacy of Dragonhold with right. the town stuff. This one doesn't have the town stuff and the moving around town, which I think is to its both detriment and advantage. The nice thing here is the system. There is actually more of a game system behind it. So basically what you're doing, and oh yeah, we're doing collectible card things. You start with equipment, feats, skills, traits, the things that were in role player. And when you do combat or any kind of skill test, you have this book of skill tests that might say, okay, make a stealth two test and flip open the book, find stealth, look at the second row. And that's got a list of say six dice or five dice. And then you are allowed to roll six dice pulled from this bag, which are colored dice in six colors representing your six D&D style stats. Mm -hmm. And you grab them from the bag and roll all six. And you need to be have exactly that color and exactly that number to fill up the row. And you have mm -hmm. to take them out of the pool you just rolled. However, you're allowed to spend attribute points that go into this fatigue pool to choose specific colors of dice. And then you have cards which can manipulate the dice, changing their color or changing their number, flipping dice, adding a pip, one or two, or sometimes doing other things like healing your fatigue. Basically, you can only do this a few times around. So each person can use one card, and then you've got a pool of extra bonus things that let you use additional cards. And just to be clear, this is a fully co-op game, right? It is a fully co-op game, right. There's only one miniature, period, and that's your token oh. moving around. Yeah. Okay. And you have to, I mean, really, when you get to those skill tests and combats, you absolutely have to go, okay, if you do this, I can cover this die, you can cover that die. Crap, we're going to need two of us together because you've got that card and I've got this card. Meanwhile, you've got 13 or 14 cards you're looking at going, wait, what can I do? What can I do? And having to discuss that wow. while you do it. Combat actually works the same way, except that at the end of each round of combat, anything that you've not covered will do damage to your fatigue. And if the entire party has all the fatigue filled, then you die and get to meet death, <laughs> which has happened. It's not. <laughs> the game is also fail forward as well yeah so, like okay kind. cool <laughs> yeah so even if you die completely blow an adventure you still progress the campaign and everything adventuring and level ups is buying cards as well as buying new stat bumps and then buying new dice uses as well so you can you know have more dice in combat etc for the party and it's really good i mean the writing solid it's not overly long I did think Legacy Dragonhold, some of those paragraphs would go on and <laughs> on on. That's true. This is all, the writing's all really tight, short, and clever, and really solidly branching. You know, when you do something or get a title, 
it will affect you. Well, I will say that, Frank, you probably would have gotten a point out of this if there was any place I could buy it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got a copy. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. So this Get is what we're doing after, uh, with, after Clank. Doing after I'm working on it. Clank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. I'm in. All right. Okay, so Jason needs to stop getting sick, mm-hmm. and then there you go. Then we'll do things. All right, and that was Role Player Adventures. Next up on our list is a matched pair of games, Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. These came out in 2021 from Osprey Games, designed by Nigel Buckle and David Turtsy. Turksy? Turchy? I'm sorry. He's Turksy. David. Yeah. yeah. There's an accent over the A, so it's probably David. Anyway. Oh, yeah, good point. Again, we're sorry. Thank you. So these are a set of competitive deck building Civ Builder games. You have, I think there's eight civilizations in each box, so 16 total. You know, there's like the classics, which is the Celts and the Persians and the Romans and the Vikings. And then Legends is some more esoteric ones, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the names. Arthurians and the Atlanteans, yeah. As well as some historically real civilizations. And that is basically the extent of what I can say about these games, because I bought both of them on Frank's recommendation. And I have sat down several times with the rule book and the cards and just kind of stared back and forth between them. And just like, I have no idea what's going on. I think I need to play it with someone who knows what they're doing so I can figure this out. Yeah, and admittedly, I haven't played Legends because I look at some of the, and start with classics. Legends is like an expansion and the civilizations are bonkers. <laughs> a game that kind of breaks all the rules of a deck builder, which Imperium does. Is hard enough. When you get to Legends, it's like, wait, that doesn't even play like... And there's one civilization that... Actually, two, the Arthurians and the Atlanteans don't even play like they're in this Yeah, it's like game. they win completely differently. Yeah, same with the Vikings, actually. We're through in the base set. Awesome. But yeah, anyway. Totally. I love that. I love that. So yeah, how, there's how massive... <laughs> how can you make a more asymmetric deck builder? And this one's strange. It breaks so many rules. Basically, you have a sieve. And yeah, it's your sieve, and and you get a deck, and you get a starter deck that's unique. You also get with a a set of cards that are mixed with a basic deck to form the pool. So your chosen sieve will form the deck from, you know, a basic set plus all the sieves in the game. In addition, there is a third and fourth deck that each sieve has. One of these is every time you empty your deck, you'll get a new really powerful card in your deck that'll be added over time, and that'll be unique. And those are obviously civilization-specific because they come with your civilization pack. And the last would be a number of buildings that are more victory point-centric, at least in most of the civilizations. There are some that are just playing a different game or something. Mm -hmm. And once you finish getting things in your deck, there are other ways of buying those. But mostly they're like Puerto Rico end-of-game victory points as everyone's running. Part of what threw me off is it feels like this game has like eight different currencies that you're juggling. Yeah, totally. And there are, I think, three big currencies that you're actually buying as well, and just for coins. There's also action tokens. So unlike most games, you only get like three actions per turn. And some of those actions are just play a card. Some of them may activate cards that are face up in front of you. Like one thing is domains, because you're kind of, you know, doing your civilization explore and conquering lands. And you can turn up lands. And then you can like activate lands or groups of lands for income to produce those resources that you need to buy cards. 
but you might not want to buy cards depending on which civilization you're playing. Some of the civs will give you bonuses for like buying land cards and just acquiring a whole bunch of them. And it's really interesting because often you're rewarded for cycling your deck by that card that comes in at the end of every time you cycle your deck. And you can leave cards on the table in front of you like lands. So you might end up just kind of leaving it and not taking those resources. Because if you take those resources, often the land will go back in your deck and you'll have to draw and slow your cycle time. Hmm. There's so much going on in this game. And it's so different. It depends on the race you're playing. If you're playing the Vikings, in fact, your entire object, probably you can win like other people. But I suspect their deck is tailored so the only way they can win is by causing Ragnarok. At the bottom of that cycle deck, which is bigger than everyone else's, mm-hmm. is Ragnarok. If they play it, they win. So they just need to burn through their deck. As they just need to burn through their can. deck as fast as possible and trying to slow everyone else down. I really want to play this game with you, Frank, because I think I'd like it. I just do not understand what's going on. It's actually not that bad to teach. I'm sure it is once you grok it, but the rule book is not intuitive and the game is not intuitive yeah it makes sense once you start playing it even then during our placement oh wow i don't want to do this i'm an idiot and <laughs> that realization was going all the way through the first second etc games mm-hmm. it's been one of the deepest deck builders i've played in forever Fascinating. and with the amount of asymmetry in the i can't even imagine what the arthurian plays like the Arthurian in Legends, you have to complete quests, and you're almost playing your own game, running around with the knights, completing quests. And they have their own paragraph and rule section for just the Arthurians. Aren't you just destined to lose and come back later at some future point? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, just when I was looking at the rules to set up a game, it's like, well, take your epic destiny card or whatever it is and place it in this pile, unless you're playing the Arthurians or the Atlanteans, in which case you do this whole other thing. It's the, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I know. And once you realize that, okay, there are four decks, you know, uh, the explanation I give you, the one that you're going to be pulling into your deck every turn, your actual deck, and then the crap you put on the market. There's also a few more ways to get cards from the market than typical. You can actually just take hits and give up your turn to take a card from the market. Mm, uh, yeah. Sometimes it's useful if there's a really good card there. But it's a hard choice because you're not playing anything. And of course, you can discard cards to help cycle your deck. It's like you want to play that card and hang on to it because you are allowed to hang on cards between turns. Okay. But uh, it slows your cycle time. All right. Well, put it on the list of things that I need to learn how to play because yeah. it's, it's sounds nifty. I just, I'm, yeah, it does I'm puzzled. Like yeah. It's an every choice feels like agony kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> Yay fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I so... love it. There are certain people we just can't play this one. You're with. damn right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you've got someone who's analysis paralysis, you will hate life. Yes. But that is Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. Let's talk about some other classic properties, uh, mm-hmm. specifically from, from my childhood, the 80s. We've got the G.I. Joe deck building game and the Transformers deck building game, both released in 2021. By Renegade Games, so they've popped up, what, four times now? <laughs> yeah. G.I. Joe is designed by T.C. Petty III, which is a pretty awesome name, and <laughs> Transformers is designed by Dan Blanchett and Matt Hyra. So I'll talk about G.I. Joe first. G.I. Joe is a cooperative game. The idea is you're going to play through essentially a G.I. Joe episode or storyline 
as the Joes, trying to basically complete the final mission. So you make a stage deck, three different stages. They get progressively more difficult as you go. You're trying to just complete successfully the final mission. You could complete the previous missions, or you could fail them. Like other games, you do fail forward, so if you fail those missions, you do continue with the game, but you do pay a penalty. And usually the way you're going to lose this game is there's something called the Threat Track, which is this cool little cobra that has three different areas where it's like you're in the green zone, where you have this thing that happens at the end of every round, in the yellow zone, a different thing happens, and the red zone, a different thing happens. And typically what you're doing, just like a regular deck builder, you've got your starting cards, you'll play the cards out, and these will give you um, the ability to go on missions. So you could try and accomplish the mission for that particular round and try and get the benefit. Or you can complete side missions where you're defeating either Cobra officers like the Baroness or Storm Shadow to stop them from screwing you over because they usually have like an end of round effect. Or you could be like just killing off Cobra troopers that are either junking up your hand or blocking out parts of the market. But Mm. where it's kind of different is it's fully cooperative. So a lot of it is really kind of bringing the right Joes for the right missions. So each of the missions will have like a type of terrain that they're going to be taking place in. So like they'll have like a tank icon for land terrain. They'll have a, one of the G.I. Joe Sky Striker icons for the, an air terrain or one of the little battleships for sea. And to put a Joe on a mission, you have to bring that Joe in a vehicle. So there's a default vehicle called the Vamp, which is like just basically a standard Jeep. The vehicle determines how many G.I. Joe characters you can bring with you on this mission. So like, think the Vamp, you can bring four with you. The Sky Striker, which is like their F-14, it can take only two people, but it has different benefits for different types of missions. So like, it'll be, oh, this is a recon stealth mission. So I'm going to bring Snake Eyes with me, and I'm going to put Snake Eyes in, uh, I don't know, uh, let's put him in a Sky Striker. Why not? That sounds fun. And so Snake Eyes might have a stealth value of three, so you get to roll three dice, and then the Sky Striker might give you two extra wild dice, and because it's an error mission, you might get another two dice on top of that. So you're rolling these d6s that have three failures, two single successes, and one double success, and you're trying to meet whatever that mission's success value is. In my experience, they range anywhere from about two to about seven or eight. Oh, wow. And if you play like me, you roll failure, 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 one success. (laughs) Every time. It is, I swear to God, these dice are loaded. It is unbelievable. (laughs) I was like, there are stars on this somewhere, right? (laughs) I only played it two player. I think this is a game that benefits by having more players because the more people you have out, the more you can spread around the pain because as you get these precision strikes from Cobra, they get assigned to individual people. But more importantly, it allows you to have other people who can say, hey, this is a recon mission. I've got a guy who's got four recon dice. I can play him into your mission if you start the mission and mm-hmm. bring my guy along. So with only two players, you really don't have a lot of mitigation where you're like, oh, God, okay, well, I've got some generic Joes that are just you know plus one die, and I've got a guy who's completely not matched for this mission at all. I guess I'm just going to hope for the best. And it, mm-hmm. every time, like I played through and like, I think I had seven mission failures and like one success, and then I failed the last mission. I'm like, this this is not good. It feels really weird watching Cobra just wipe the floor with the Joes the entire game. I mean, have they not seen the cartoon? Don't they know who's supposed to win? I mean, honestly, all I need is an uh, equipment card called Parachute, and I should be fine, right? Because I I like it. It was fun. It's definitely difficult, more difficult than I was anticipating. 
And it's cute. Like the Joes are, you know, they have that powers you would expect based on the the characters from the show. The one I played was a mission called the Mass Device, which was like a GI Joe episode where Cobra had a basically a teleport device where they could teleport whole armies somewhere and take over countries. I was curious because I love tortured '80s acronyms. Guess what? <laughs> mass stands for in Mass Device. Mind Ascension Serpent. Segregation machine. Nope, nope, not not tortured enough, Mike. So it is oh. the molecular assembler scrambler sender is what it stands oh. for. <laughs> are there so, any PSA uh, cards? I just are there PSA? Oh, cards? Sh- not that the I've more seen. you know. <laughs> God, they really need that. They need also need some well, Ventura Cobra Law. That'd be great. Oh yeah, and this actually goes towards I think my one hesitancy about Renegade Games' release schedule for these IP games is that there are already two announced expansions for these Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which, like, okay. So the one for G.I. Joe is uh, Shadow of the Serpents, and then the Transformers deck-building game has Infiltration Protocol and Arising Darkness. Okay. And I think (laughs) that is how you pronounce them. Yeah, clearly. I think part of it is that these guys, obviously, they're very enthusiastic that they have gotten all of these IPs, because it turns out they've also just recently released a series of role-playing games mm-hmm. based on G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and indeed My Little Pony, which you can actually <laughs> see, some of which played, the only thing you can see so far is, is Power Rangers, on Feats and Fables, our sort of sister Twitch streaming channel where Mike and Joe are doing role-playing things, along with several other friends of the show. I'm running a totally normal Power Rangers yes, exactly. game. 100% exactly. normal. Nothing Don't let anyone happens. tell you otherwise. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Everything is fine. I actually want a set of action figures for like G.I. Joe with, you know, all the vehicles and having to do combat at scale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Sign me up. That sounds great. I think that's kind of why they are just like betting on the nostalgia factor among gamers of a certain age, which is right now a prime buying games demographic that they feel like they can pre-sell those expansions. It sure worked on me. (laughs) The art in the game, unlike one of our favorite games, the Legendary Encounters games, is actually from the comic book, so it's pretty decent art that you can recognize the characters. That's good. Mm -hmm. So that's fortunate. I will warn you, the rule book is utter dog shit. I was very surprised at how difficult they made it to follow the actual setup of the game. Like They literally forget to tell you an entire deck of cards what to do with it. I was like, well, mm. it's in this picture. I think it's just one of these standalone... I'll just sort of put it over here? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was weird. Ugh. But I'm looking forward to trying it with more people. I think it'll definitely shine more. The kind of mechanic where you're limited by the vehicles that you actually purchase and mm-hmm. what their benefits are and how many people you can slot into them is an interesting idea. And who knows, like, I hope the next versions let me play as Cobra, because I'll be honest, I always preferred the Cobra vehicles <laughs> to the Joes. <laughs> They're just much, much more interesting. Like, give me a his take any day. But yeah, so that's the G.I. Joe game, and I fully bought these, expecting them to be literally the same game system, just with reskins, and like, ah, whatever, they're not that expensive. Uh, they're totally different games. I was, I was huh. astonished. So the Transformers game, oddly, is not by default a cooperative game. It's a, basically to win, the Autobots have to defeat three Decepticon bosses. Just like in the G.I. Joe game, it's a stage deck that's going to have both all of your market items, but it's also going to have Decepticon schemes. It's going to have, if you're playing cooperatively, it'll have cooperative schemes you have to complete, and it'll have the Decepticon bosses. And you have to defeat three of the bosses that are you know slotted in at specific places inside the deck. 
But you have a giant, what they call, this is such bad naming convention. I really wish they hadn't done this. They I can't ca- wait. They call it the Matrix of cards. Like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> there is a Matrix in Transformers. There's a card called the Matrix of Leadership. But they call the damn assortment of cards out in the grid pattern the Matrix. I'm like, oh, God, you're going to confuse me. Someone the thought people. they were being clever. Yeah, no, they weren't. That was a very stupid idea. <laughs> but the idea here is if you're playing competitively, you're trying to defeat the Decepticon bosses and goons to earn victory points that you put into your vault. And then at the end, you reveal, oh, I have more victory points than you, Optimus Prime. I beat you. I'm Bumblebee. Oh, win like, better. What? Okay. Like, what? Oh, no. Okay. There is a cooperative version that doesn't do any of that dumb bullshit. So I will never play the competitive version because <laughs> that's stupid. It makes literally no sense. But in the game, you've got a matrix of cards that are face down. These cards are constructed from the deck. They're going to have a combination of allies, which are like your human allies, which is funny. So I'm looking forward to getting Spike Wickwicky killed, because that'll be very entertaining for me. They have an expansion coming out with Megan Fox. Oh, Jesus Christ, I hope not. <laughs> oh, man. Dear God, no. <laughs> they have, like, a technology, they have, like, utilities, you have other Autobots you can get. So those are all things you can buy. Basically, in your hand, you'll have a movement value that's based on your Transformer. So if you're in your vehicle mode, you'll have, like, let's say, movement two. And then you'll play cards from your hands that also have movement. And so you have a little standee that's your character moving around the matrix of cards, and you spend movement to search that to flip the card up. If you flip the card up and it's an item, you can spend energy to purchase the item. If you flip the card up and it's a Decepticon, well, they ambush you, you draw an encounter card, terrible crap happens to you, and then you try and fight the Decepticon to try and get victory points. Your combat cards have ranges, so if you have a card that lets you flip a card face up that's like, you know, a space away, great. Now use your attack card that has range 2, and you can blast its Decepticon without them ambushing you. But essentially, you're flipping these cards, you're investigating this matrix, you're flipping over to try and find these Decepticon bosses and gear up so that you're able to defeat them. If you kill the third boss before the main deck runs out when you're refilling the matrix, congratulations, you win. It's interesting. So it sounds like there's not a regular open market like you see in most deck building games. You basically have to find things and then hope it's something you want to put in your deck. Correct. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So like, you really have a lot less control over it. And every time you're flipping a card where your character is located, it's a risk, because you might get ambushed by a Decepticon. Mm -hmm. Usually, it seems like the effects are going to be that they put a damage card into your deck, which costs you victory points. Or if you have too many damage cards, you lose the game. You also get Energon cubes, which they have hot pink Energon cubes, which I was appreciative of, that you can use to power effect abilities, like it's how you can transform your character. And when you're in your robot mode, you can spend Energon to get bonuses of like drawing cards or doing extra damage or, or whatever. It's definitely simpler than the G.I. Joe one, but with the cooperative one especially, there's a lot of ability to have other Autobots contribute towards your combat when you're in a conflict. So I think this one's probably a little more forgiving because there's no goddamn dice, <laughs> which I definitely appreciate. And from what I understand, the expansion that Mike mentioned, I think you can play as the Decepticons in the next one. So that, that could be interesting. It blows my mind that they would not make this standard cooperative with a option for a win better mode. It's so bizarre. Or even better, now that you've said that, make this a game where you play the Decepticons and then it's a win better situation. I mean, that would make a lot more sense. Sure. Exactly. Yes. Like, that sounds like somebody's playing as Starscream <laughs> trying to one up Megatron. <laughs> like you do. Right. So I guess my question would be, and Jason, you may not be psychologically capable of answering this. If you're not someone who is super into G.I. Joe slash Transformers, 
Do you think the games are worth it as games, or is the nostalgia and theming factor kind of part of what makes them cool? I think the G.I. Joe ones got more interesting mechanically, because I do like the kind of little mini game of, okay, I have to match the right characters for the right missions with the right vehicles, and that Mm -hmm. it encourages you directly in the instruction manual talk with your other players and strategize about who's going to take on what missions and who should be assigned these precision strikes. I think that one mechanically is probably more interesting, so it could probably stand alone. Mm-hmm. The Transformers one's got a little less going on, and I don't know how much is there mechanically that's all that interesting. Okay. The game I played was fairly short, because uh, I was playing like the practice game, right? Mm-hmm. I wish there was more of a story element like the G.I. Joe one had, because literally you're just basically grinding through the Matrix until you find Decepticon bosses, then you're defeating the bosses before you run out of the main deck. Right. There's not a lot of story there or nothing to really wrap your mind around. Like, oh, what are we actually doing? Apparently, we're Autobots just blundering through like Earth looking for something. Like, oh, look, there's a shiny uh, gun. I pick up this gun. Oh, look, there's Rumble. I'm going to go shoot him in the face. Like... <laughs> There's the story. I mean, credit, the episodes were about that bad sometimes, but they at least pretended to have a story. <laughs> All right, noted. So that was G.I. Joe deck building game and Transformers deck building game. There's no the ah, in it. Ah, yes. No the. No the. It's real mm-hmm. weird. Didn't have time for the the. <laughs> Those are expensive, man. <laughs> They're also continuing the time honored tradition of having really great creative game names. That Legendary has set the bar for. Look, man, you know what you're getting. (laughs) Frank, I think we're back to you. Okay, here's my bid to score more points. Oh, no. Is this at least a game we can buy? No, no. Absolutely. The next next two games are games you can absolutely buy, and you will probably want to buy. Much like role-playing adventures? Uh, Yeah, that you can't have that one. These you can actually have. Just a small spoiler for the future. I've already looked up both these games on... One popular website, and neither of them are available. What? So Frank is lying. lies. <laughs> I can... Oh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're right. I know, I know you can get the second one. Anyway, Dead Reckoning is a game that mm, should be available. Maybe it's not. I can probably find it. We'll see. No, sorry. I skipped Dead Reckoning. Uh, I was looking at the other two on this list. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry. Dead Reckoning is... Kind of a, it's John DeClaire, AEG. As you I remember John that De- name. Yeah, totally. I love his games. And this one is kind of the bastard child of, say, Edge of Darkness, Seafall, and Scythe. What? Okay. <laughs> Go <Huh>. on. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> is this by Dr. Moreau Productions? I mean... <laughs> Just got to stitch it together very carefully, Brian. It's fine. You're pirates. You're doing piratey things. And a lot of those piratey things match up pretty closely to Seafall. You've got a ship, you're sailing out, you're kind of exploring, although much less story-centric exploring. You know, you've got islands, you're building colonies on islands, you're picking up and upgrading your ship and your cards, because this is a card-crafting clear card game. You start with 12 cards representing your crew, and you're going to get to play four to six of these in a round, depending on, well, you can have a hand of six. And the cards are interesting because they're backed by a cardboard card, which has four levels of upgrade on the background part of the card, as well as three slots for upgrades you can make to each card, which are clear. And so there's that going on. And of course, like Edge of Darkness, you can take all the actions on the cards you play, or you get all of the effects of a card you play. 
these can represent things like sales for movement, how many spaces you can move. You can pick up barrels and crates in port, just generally where those show up. Unfortunately, that means sailing all the way back home to pick them up. It also represents how much colony strength you have for adding cubes to colonies, where you're playing kind of a weird area control. Most cubes on a colony gets to control it and can produce resources there, which is an action that's on the cards to just gain resources. And of course, you have cannons, which represent, yeah, you can attack colonies or other ships or things. And scattered all over this board are upgrade cards, which you can buy for barrels. That's a big chunk of the game is you're grabbing your cards, figuring out your best path, moving around and doing piratey stuff. Hmm. Each turn, you're going to get to upgrade one of your cards, just using the cardboard part and turning it or flipping it to bump it. The upgrade cards come in a couple flavors. Some you can just buy with barrels. Some represent merchant ships that you actually have to attack. Having enough cannons, hopefully on your ship, you can buy upgrade tiles using another card action and a mix of barrels back at port. But above all, there's also a weird kind of dice cube tower thing going, where when you're doing a fight, you grab a number of cubes equal to your cannons plus any bonuses of both you and whatever you're fighting, and throw them in this big tower where they splay out onto a kind of grid thing. And that grid will represent how much damage each of you takes, uh, as well as who actually wins the battle, plus any loot, gold, or whatever you gain during the battle as you're trying to loot ships. And so often, combat's weird because attacking another ship often benefits both of you and you end up both with extra loot. One of you might be sunk, one of you might be chased away. And the entire game is about person with the most gold. So basically gold is your victory points. So I'm looking at some of the pictures on the geek. Yeah. And I like the idea of taking your individual crew members and upgrading them as you go. That looks really neat. Mm -hmm. There is a little fold-up assembled cardboard (laughs) ship. That is the dice dice tower. Okay, now I'm officially in love with this game. Oh, yeah, totally. And there's two flavors. If you got the Kickstarter, you get a ghost ship version of it (laughs) that glows in the dark. (laughs) What? Oh, my God. How did you not Look, tell man, us about this before? When you're running out of stretch goals, you got to find something. And a box is big enough, so once you assemble it, it can go completed in the box. The organizer's actually pretty good. There's a, a gorgeous metal coins and resin crates and barrels. But the game is actually, it feels like, you remember how when you started Seafall? You know, you're doing all these piratey things. And you were and sure the, it was going to be good? <laughs> and yeah, and the colony stuff was interesting. You were doing all this resource stuff and the pirate stuff. And there were events and everything, and that all felt right. This feels like kind of that part of the game. You know, the, the explorations rain down to mostly getting upgrades for a ship and tweaking the colonies and things. And, you know, it's a single shot game instead of a whole legacy campaign, but it's so good. And you're every time you upgrade, you always get something and tweak your ship and you pile a bunch of cannons. Atypically, if you have cannon cards in your deck, you're allowed to just play them. So sometimes you I think the first time I was attacked, I had like two cans on my ship, and this guy had built up to five. He was like, oh, you're so screwed. And then I just showed him the two master gunners I had in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no. Surprise. We ended up sinking each other, which worked out to both of our benefits. (laughs) And so often attacking... Yes, because sinking your ship is always beneficial. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But also at the top of the board, 
there are very side objectives. You know, sink somebody else's ship, that's an objective. You get a point. And the game ends when someone finishes four or so okay. of those. Sure. Huh. And then do a couple of rounds. How much table space does this thing take up? It's make? pretty it's gigantic. It is pretty big, yeah. But it's okay because you can't buy it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, just to revisit, the only two things that are showing up on BGG are two instances in the geek market for 300 and then four hundred and sixty. Oh man! Okay, I thought this was. I thought they were bringing into retail. They are. It's Alderac. Eventually. <laughs> yeah, but okay. The Kickstarter is delivered. But and... you said there are metal coins, and if I'm not getting metal coins, I'm not buying it. <laughs> oh yeah, the metal coins ah! and resin bits are. Uh, and glow in the dark ship. <laughs> well, three hundred dollars, man. Ugh. Not worth. I'll that. just steal Frank's. Huh? No. <laughs> you wouldn't even notice. You've got so many games. True. <laughs> Sandy would probably like help you open the door. Take, <laughs> right. Yes. Take what you, you want. Have an ally. <laughs> She'd go in and edit the database. No, we never owned that game. I don't know what you're talking She's about. Standing here, going, wait, this is an option. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hi, Sandy. I'll just I'll just back up Courtney's truck. We could fill the whole thing. <laughs> all right, so we're all going for if a shopping trip. <laughs> She'd probably just say, hey, take it. Take it all. So, Sandy, contact me and let me know when Frank will be out of the house. <laughs> Did you hear the Kickstarter threw up in my house? Uh, <laughs> Is that what that was? Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's talk about a game that was also Kickstarter that I don't own <laughs> yet. This is Wonderland's War. Also 2022, Tim Eisner, Ben Eiser, Ian Moss, Druid City Games, and Skybound Games. Wonderland's War is basically all the Wonderland characters having a big old battle thing. Just like it says on the tin. It was originally kind of, oh, area control, cute Wonderland. Oh, yeah, whatever. But then someone pointed out that this was Advanced Quacks of Quedlam, Quiglam, whatever. Quedlamberg? Quedlamberg, yes. And it is a bag builder in the style very much of Quacks. There's a lot going on here, actually. So you have two phases of the game. First one, the tea party phase. And you each play a, you know, Alice and the White King or the Red Queen or the Jabberwock or the Cheshire Cat. Mm-hmm. And you have your allies and your minions and you're fighting over area control of various parts of Wonderland. First part, of course, there's a tea party phase. And this is drafting cards and adding stuff to your bag as well as special powers. And there's a lot of things you're adding to your universe in this game. First of all, you're adding minions, which your minions will go and are placed immediately on the five areas that your area controlling over. These also represent your potion explosion from quacks. So whenever you're actually doing the actual battles, every time you explode, you lose a minion. Or every time you draw, I think, the mushrooms, Mm, the bad things, yeah, yeah. you lose a minion. And you're out of that combat and basically boiled over, failed when all your minions are gone. So you're deciding how much you want to risk in each battle, which is kind of different. Also, you're picking up allies, I think, which represent more chips in your bag. And each chip has a special power that there's a set, that like six sets that you can choose for the game. And then there's also the characters, Wonderland characters, which represent new figures and have their own special power cards, which some of them come with chips, some don't, but they're often placed on the board to manipulate the actual battles. 
And you move around and you basically spend the first half of each of the three rounds doing that. Then you do five quacks-like battles where everyone's reaching into their bag and trying to go up the track and get as many points as you can. This gets very different from quacks. Basically, you're drawing and getting points with the object to be the highest points. The person with the most points pulled from your bag wins. But also you're drawing madness tokens that are in your bag, which are your mushrooms that will kill off your minions, as well as refresh your bag when you get so many of them. But also you have quests that represent things you have to do during battle. So you might, you know, just be in a battle just to do a little bit and then bail in order to finish a quest because it might actually be more worthwhile and someone's committed way too many minions and are obviously going, you know, they've got way too many minions that they can do it. But also each of these battles, you don't reset your bag. So you know how many madness tokens you've got in the bag versus other things. So you can kind of prep a battle before to kind of decide when to keep going just to reset your bag in between these battles. There's a lot more going on here. Interesting. And that explanation probably didn't help much. I mean, no, but that's okay. You've told me enough to let me know if I want to look at it some more, which yeah, I think I might. You know, it is area control, which I'm not a fan of, mm-hmm. but it's area control before. Then you run through a weird multi-objective quacks battle to determine who actually gets the control of the area. And generally first and second get points. So it looks like there's both figure and standee versions or figure and cardboard versions. The figures look pretty cool. The retail that you can actually buy is the standee version. Of course it is. I love the Cheshire Cat standing on his own head. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the thought of Frank using Quacks Battle as if it were a standardized mechanic (laughs) that everyone is familiar with. It is now. (laughs) Is it? Well, it is. I mean, here, I mean... I mean, as of this conversation, yes. I guess so. We're trendsetting. We're doing it now. (laughs) Burping words language, man. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. All right. So that was Wonderland's War. I think that is about all we have for this month. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us. As always, we will ask you to do the usual internet things, you know, like, follow, subscribe. Indeed. Talk about us on social media. Give us an iTunes review if you have time. And if nothing else, please come back next month and let us talk to you about Either a new topic or a revisit of an old one, depending on what the feedback we get from this episode is. Roll and move. <laughs> no! I think it should be a new topic, but like we can talk about that offline. Yes, exactly. We'll figure it out. I feel like we need to make a side podcast that's like, can we sell this game to each other? <laughs> Mike? I don't think Courtney would approve of that. <laughs> we don't need another podcast. That's fair. That's fair. But it could be so good. All right, you're editing this one. (laughs) Fair enough. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you again next month. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye! We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at ascentofboardgames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. You think I would have learned from last time, but I definitely didn't. I might have thought that at one time, but I've learned.